I cannot believe how many people are here today. It's like you all got on a messaging app or something and said, I'm coming this week. And everyone decided, okay. I'm so glad to see you all here. This is wonderful. Well, this is worship for Sunday, February the 28th. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. A few announcements in the calendar. A reminder that we, we have flowers that we put up here weekly in honor or in memory of, of members of our community. This week's is in honor of uh, Roland Kinsey's birthday, which Roland, I think it's like what, 50? We'll go with 50. Go a little down. Okay, sorry, 40. So if you have a moment, if you have someone you would like to honor, check it out in the back, write in a name. Um, all the information is there. As many of you know, we are planning to hold the, the district conference here at Akron Springfield Church of the Brethren this coming summer, uh, the weekend of the 13th. I don't remember if that's the Saturday or the Friday of that day, that week. They have met and discussed. The plan is, as of now, they are going to have an in-person district conference here in the building. The plan at this moment is it's going to be open to delegates only, along with members of the various district councils, commissions, committees. Uh, it won't be open up to the general denomination, as it has been in the past, and we're just doing it on Saturday. So that is the current news. I know we are still going to need volunteers to help with the various bits and pieces, the helping people get around the church, the meals, whatever is needed. If you are willing to donate some of your time to help with that, please let the, the people who are serving in our, in our congregation here uh, know. And I believe uh, Becky Bertoft is the head of that. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so she's the one you definitely want to see to let her know if you are willing and able to help and in what way. This coming Saturday is Kids Closet here at the church from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. That is a ministry that we offer the local uh, elementary school age children of free clothing. It's if you have not been down to the basement yet lately to see the room where we keep the clothes, it is overflowing in there because we have gotten more donations, but we haven't opened the last two months due to COVID spikes. So uh, if you we know anyone who might need the help, we encourage you to let them know it is closed. There is no charge. Um, so please spread the news. Uh, in any way that you're able to, to let them know that we have that available for them. And as always, they will continue to take donations of clothes and especially socks and underwear as those need to be brought in brand new. Bible study continues on Tuesday nights on Zoom. More information will be coming out beginning of the week. Uh, we are having a hymn sing time, not following worship this week, but next week as it will be the first Sunday next week. Are there any other announcements that you would like to share with the community today? As we move into our time of sharing joys and concerns in our lives, I have a couple to share. First, a joy 
Jean's son, Anthony, passed his professional engineering exam, which is just absolutely wonderful. We're so glad to hear Jean and knowing that that's the next stage to going on to, to work and professional careers and all that fun stuff. So just so happy to hear. We are also, I got this message last night, uh, mourning the passing of our sister, uh, Alice Kengott, who passed away unexpectedly. I don't have any more details at this time. We ask that you continue the whole Berserker family in your hearts. I know a lot of this information has been passed through the prayer chains, but it's also been even on local and national news. Um, for those of you who know the Zerker family, Jared uh, and his family were out sled riding, and his daughter, Elaine, um, was in an accident, received a head injury. At the hospital, Jared passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack, and his daughter, um, they couldn't do anything for her. So the family has lost both uh, a husband, a father, a son, and a daughter, a sister. So please continue to hold his wife, Katie, um, their other daughter, Noella, in your hearts, along with Tom and Susan and the rest of the family. Are there any other joys or concerns you'd like to share? Danita and Ryan, correct? Brian. So prayers for Bernita's sister, Brian, who had a stroke. Huh? What did I say? Prayers for Bernita's brother, Brian, who did suffer from a stroke and is in the process of receiving medications for blood thinners and will be having surgery in the future to help relieve some of the symptoms and side effects of the stroke. I'm looking forward. Yes, I did, Dick. It is a joy to see so many faces back here in the room, and I can, I can say that having Dick and Shirley back is one of the greatest joys. I, and for those of you who are at home and can only hear me talking, Dick is expressing his joy to be here and how everyone who's in this room and those who are watching from home, how much your support, your community has met. And we, it is a joy to have you back. I say that looking around and seeing several other faces. I think I just saw a hand. Prayers for Roland Deeds. Uh, Jason, you said, correct? Tristan. It's Jason's son, Tristan, who's five um, and has COVID. Uh, but he is home and, and, and they're taking care of the symptoms and whatnot there. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that he's, he's home. But we'll continue to hold them in our prayers. Well, I have an update um, on my, my wife's uncle, George, who has been at been cared for by my father-in-law and mother-in-law uh, since he had a stroke a couple weeks ago. Uh, he is back in the hospital. His son flew in from California, and they made the decision that uh, because he wasn't improving and wasn't um, going to the services he needed to get help, 
um, to, to have him go back into the hospital for reassessment and to get back into the system looking for the assistance he needed. If you'll join me as we enter this time of worship, listening to our opening music.
you pray with me? Creator, it's starting to feel like spring. As the rain falls from your heavens down onto your creation, and melts away the ice and snow of a cold winter. We feel ready to be renewed in you. We turn our eyes towards Jerusalem, towards the coming trials, towards death, but more importantly, towards resurrection. Walk with us, Lord, as we struggle to follow in your footsteps as we struggle to let go of those things that hold us back from following you more closely. Live in us. Empower us. Lord, we need help. We need your strong arms, your strong hands holding us up not only as we walk our own paths, but as we, as we care for our brothers and our sisters. We ask that you walk especially with those families. We think of the Kengat family, the Zerker family. We ask that you are with them in these moments especially as they mourn loss. We ask that you walk with our brothers and sisters who are dealing with illness, with injury. We ask that you hold close Norma and George, Bonnie, Brian, Tristan. and all those names that sit quietly in our hearts. We dance with you, God. We dance with you as we celebrate the return of so many brothers and sisters into this space. Our joy at seeing so many faces that we've missed so much. We thank you for each and every one of them. And for the community that has surrounded them even when they weren't here. We say, we pray with joy for Anthony as he passes another milestone and prepares for the next stage, for new lives that have been born into this community, maybe earlier than expected. We can't wait until we get to see them face to face.
God of dance, God of mourning, God of joy, God of sadness. We thank you. And we ask that we get to keep on this relationship with you. Amen. I will warn you before I start this today that I took acetaminophen because of sinus issues and it tends to leave me a little fuzzy. So I may lose my train of thought a lot easier today. <laughs> Our reading comes from Mark chapter 10, 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And Peter said, spoke up and said, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who will be first will be last, and the last first. Blessed is the word of God. I love story. I've always been that way. I'm the kind of kid who the books in my room, all the paperback books especially, you could tell 
that their spines had gone through a lot of wear and tear. Now, of all the books out there, one of the ones that really got a lot of the use was my copy of the Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. I loved them. They're, they're an insight into, human, into humanity, but they're just good stories. Dark stories, but good stories. There's a lot of archetypes. You know, those characters that just appear that you, you kind of put in their basic characteristics and you already know a lot about them. So, you know, the wolf. You know when you read a fairy tale and a wolf appears exactly who the wolf is. You know, or Prince Charming, or the princess, or the scullery maid. You know, they're, they're regular characters. Now, two of the most regular characters that appear in Grimm's fairy tales are a devil and a trickster. They're all over the place. One of my favorite ones that deal with these two characters is the story of the farmer and the treasure. Now, as it goes, a farmer was walking one day through his fields, and he spied up in the pasture a big pile of rocks. It was those rocks that he had collected as he was going about, you know, plowing the fields, and would knock stones up out. So he'd stacked them all there, and there's someone sitting on them. So he walks up to it, and sure enough, it's the devil. What are you doing here? Which I have to say, as a farmer who realizes there's a devil standing up on my rocks, he's, he's got a lot of bravery going up to talk to him. The devil looked down at him and was like, I am sitting on a treasure trove. There is so much treasure underneath these rocks that you would live comfortably for the rest of your life along with your great-great-great-grandchildren. They will all be taken care of. Oh, well, it's on my land. Can I have it? Did I mention this guy was really brave or really stupid? Oh, you can have it because I, I'm the lord of the underworld. I've got all the gold I could ever want. I don't need this pittance. But what I want is food, real food, human food, earth food. So how about we make a deal? For the next two years, give me half of everything your field makes. The farmer thought for a moment. That would make things really tight for the next two years. All right, I'll give you half. You want the top half or the bottom half? Apparently, the devil didn't know anything about agriculture. I'll take the bottom half. All right. Growing season comes. Harvest season follows. And the devil comes to pick up his half. And he walks into the field to see it a stubble. The farmer had planted wheat. And he had taken his share, the top half. The devil, of course, is angry. You tricked me. Fine. But I have one more year left, and this time I'll take the top half. So another year comes around, planting season, harvest season, and the devil comes to collect his, his top half, which is all conveniently piled at one side of the field for him to pick up. A giant mound of the tops of rutabaga plants. The peasant farmer trickster wins. 
he gets the treasure without ever giving anything to the devil. We love the tricksters. They appear all over, even today. I mean, in our modern fairy tales, we have people like, well, people, characters like Bugs Bunny, or Tom Sawyer, or one of my favorite, Matilda. Heroes, or semi-heroes, who use their, their mental acuity, if you would, they use their trickiness in order to win against the villains. We like that because, let's face it, most of us aren't Superman. Most of us will never be Bruce Wayne with millions and billions of dollars to spend to get us around where we want. Most of us have to rely on our mental acuity. Most of us have to rely on our ability to think through problems and find a way around them. You know, Superman is the hero. Lex Luthor, the one who has to get around it by using his own mental abilities, is the villain. Sometimes we have to root for the villain because they're more like us. And then there's, of course, the other tricksters that appear often. The, if you want to put it this way, the chaotic neutral. They're not good, they're not bad, but they make the story better. Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean or Puck from Midsummer's Night Dream. They just make the story better because they're always stirring the pot. Even the Bible celebrates tricksters. The most famous, of course, being Jacob, named Israel. What does he do? Well, he tricks his brother into getting his inheritance. He tricks his dad to get his brother's blessing. He tricks his father-in-law to earn lots and lots of money off of him. He's, you know, as close second is Abraham, who always is tricking kings to try and keep out of trouble. It's a response to, uh, it's a response to adversity. Yes, I've said we're not all supermen. We can't push through things through our strength alone necessarily. We aren't Bruce Wayne with intellect and money to buy expensive gadgets and gizmos. Most of us have to find ways to get through adversity that deals with technique, that deals with figuring out the opponents, finding a way around. But that's doesn't always work out well. After all, Jacob, who keeps tricking people, also keeps getting caught. And if it wasn't for the fact that God walks with him in his path, Jacob would not have survived. He keeps making it around. We're even warned later in the letters, maybe don't use Jacob as a, stare, as a good role model to follow. And that's where we come to today's tale. Because after all, Jesus seems to set up an impossible level of perfection in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. For the rich man, he says, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. 
I think this is something that lives through even today as you think of a standard eye, a standard needle. Even if it's a really big bone needle, you're not going to fit a camel through it. I remember this old SNL sketch. I think somebody must have shown it to me in a Bible study when we were doing this one, because it was from like before I would have watched SNL. And I only watched it while I was in college, really. Where this rich man decides he's going to make it into heaven no matter what. And so he uses all of his resources to try different methods. Like, is it allowed if I put the camel in a giant blender? Would that count? What if I made impossibly large needles? At what point do they no longer count as needles? Or what if I genetically modify camels down to the size where they would fit? I will say as a side note, if you ever see a camel about this size, let me know. I will take one home with me. Completely useless, but cute as all get out. But it all gets down to a basic truth that Christians have been struggling with this passage for a long time. Because as much as it's fun to, you know, kind of look at this at that complete far one of applying ways to get around the rules while still staying in the rules, that trickiness, we've been doing that in biblical studies. And there's, if you were to go home and open up your study Bible or do a little research around, you'll come across this old tale that there used to be this gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. It makes sense. A lot of ancient cities had these gates. I mean, after all, if you were coming in late at night, they wouldn't have the wide gates wide open. They didn't want to be attacked. So they formed these really small gates. They're basically big enough for a man pulling a pack animal behind them to get in. Because that was easy to defend. The only way to get your camel through was to unpack everything off of it and leave it behind and then pull your camel through and then carry it through yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Because it's true, those things really exist. Even Nazareth has one. But it doesn't really exist also. It was never called the eye of the needle. I mean... The idea is that you, someone could say that to you and they'd be like, you know, oh, it's, you know, like passing down, you know, Howell Avenue before Howell Avenue was cleaned up. <laughs> we all know how bad that is. And we all think, oh, that's the kind of thing that the, the Hebrews who were listening to Jesus speak thought. They, they automatically knew, except it didn't exist for them. They heard the words the same way we're hearing the words a camel passing through a needle. It's still impossible. An impossible task to be done. It sets that standard high. When we're introduced to this rich man, now this is Mark, so it's just a rich man, this is the one who's called in other Gospels the rich young man or the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. He has lived his life the right way. 
it's made a point. Not only is he wealthy, but he apparently has earned his wealth by being an honest man. He hasn't come across it by exploiting others. He hasn't come across it in dishonest ways. He has lived a righteous, upright life by the rules. Jesus' response to hearing how the young man has lived a righteous life is he looks on him lovingly because he knows what he's about to say is going to be painful for him. You've all experienced that, I'm sure, at some point. Whether you're experienced being the person to tell somebody that, or you were the person who received that news, to know that you are going to be unable to do this thing that is asked of you, to know that this person you love is not going to be able to do this thing you ask of them, to know someone that completely. Jesus sees through this man. He knows this man's heart. He knows what's holding him back, and Jesus zeroes in on that thing that's holding him back and says, this is keeping you from it. What's keeping you from the kingdom is your wealth. After all, he's not remembered as the man who came to talk to Jesus. He's remembered as the rich man who came to Jesus. He did everything right, and it still wasn't enough. He still had to do the impossible. Whether the impossible was giving up something of himself, something that defined who he was, something that he had spent decades, perhaps. If he's the rich young man, then less time, but it's still how he defined himself. It's how we remember him to give up the very definition of himself in order to follow God. It's an impossible task. So what did we do? Well, Christians for centuries found ways around it, ways to say, oh, no, it is something possible to do. All you have to do is look through the gate and see the kingdom. After all, if that was the gate of the, if the needle, the eye of the needle, was that gate in Jerusalem, how easy does that make it? Because you can see paradise right there on the other side of the eye. You just have to walk through it. If Jesus wasn't talking about this gate, if Jesus talking about something that's completely metaphorical, it's even harder to step through. One of my favorite writers, as many of you know, is C.S. Lewis. And he wrote this wonderful short story called The Great Divorce about what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. And in this story, the writer, the narrator, has gone onto the other side. 
and he's standing at the edge of the kingdom of heaven, watching other shades, that is, spirits of human beings who haven't made it to paradise. He sees them sitting on, trying to get in, or rather trying not to get in. Because for each of them, they have these little things that are holding them back. And as C.S. Lewis pointed out, even humanity, even us who know exactly what we need to do, sometimes get stuck. Those things that hold us back still keep holding us back, even if we can see the kingdom right there. So even if the eye really existed, I guess it doesn't make it that much easier. Those people in the story, all they had to give up was their pride, their envy, their guilt. It's any number of things. I highly recommend the story. Got an afternoon to read. But Jesus never leaves us without hope. Because as it goes back into it, you know, this man, with this man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Faith is a powerful and dangerous thing. You never know where it's going to take you, what it's going to drive you to do. That's what Jesus is really asking this young man to do. To not worry about following the rules and the regulations. To not worry about how to get to the end goal, how dealing through those rules and regulations. There's no need to be tricky. There's no need to be powerful. There's no need to have wealth and gadgets. All you need is faith. Because faith will drive you to do things you hadn't imagined. Faith walks with you and pushes you. It powers you. And it takes you through that eye of a needle. I've titled this series, Mark, Unexpected Messiah. Because Mark's Messiah keeps pushing us. Jesus keeps pushing us to do the impossible, to do what's not expected. Here, Jesus is saying, stop relying on yourself. Stop relying on the world. Stop worrying about all those things. You aren't an archetypal character. You aren't the trickster. You aren't Prince Charming. You aren't the princess. You're you, beloved child of God. And your way into paradise, your way into salvation, isn't by all these things in the world. It's by faith in God. Because through God, you can be pulled through that narrow needle eye and into the kingdom. Scary. Scary.
because you never know when you take a step out into the path of faith where that path will take you. At the same time, it's exhilarating because you never know where that path of faith is going to take you. Maybe it's the impossible. Thank you. As you walk out of this church today and into the rain, may all those things that hold you back from complete faith in God be washed away onto the asphalt and into the drains. May every step you take be a step deeper into faith, closer to God, and closer to the impossible. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you. 